Hello and welcome to episode 66 of ONA Saints podcast, your podcast dedicated to Southampton Football Club. With me this evening, I have Jack Serlis. Jack, a late one recording here on a Tuesday night. How are you doing? Not bad, mate. I had a um, six-a-side game in Battersea this evening, which we were lost, annoyingly lost 3-2. Um, so, and I was on the way home and I saw that Ben Teke had scored in the second minute and I thought this evening has gone even worse than I could have imagined. Um, it's going even worse than I could have imagined, but luckily the Saints turned it around, which was a surprise, a nice, pleasant surprise. So I'm then, feeling a bit more better and happier to record this pod. How are you? Yes, feeling the same. When that goal went in, I'm not going to lie, I thought, what is the point of many <laughs> things? What is the point of football? What is the point of Southampton Football Club? What is the point of this podcast? But you know what? They turned it around and we're talking about a victory for what? I think the fifth time this year. So, yeah, officially safe from relegation after Burnley's win over Fulham on Monday. It was very much a case of stumbling to safety rather than securing it ourselves. Our woeful form in 2021 has rightly put Ralph under serious pressure. Eight points from a possible 51 before Tuesday is historically bad Premier League form. But at St Mary's on Tuesday evening, we picked up a victory for just the third time since January 4th in the league. A 3-1 Victory over Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace at St Mary's. I'm certainly not going to take for granted these victory pods anymore. They've been few and far between for the last five months. But with 40 points on the board and three matches remaining, we can at least take this opportunity to look forward and hopefully use these final games as assessments as Ralph should be looking to shake things up in a big way this summer. If the club stands still we will almost certainly be in the championship next season and deservedly so, to be honest. But before we look at the wider picture, let's analyse the Palace game, Jack. I have used used the word shambles more than most on this podcast recently, but that is very much how I would describe Palace's opening goal. Less than two minutes on the clock and Christian Benteke avoids pathetic challenges from about five Saints players before firing under Fraser Forster. That was a lot of Fs there, sorry. Um, with safety secured, all I wanted from this game was a good performance and to start looking ahead to next season. But after that 90 seconds, we were stuck watching the same old shite. At that point, I think we both feared the worst, didn't we? But credit to the players, like the home game against Burnley, we turned it around after those basic errors at the back with the, da- with the returning Danny Ings back among the goals. Just to start on that Benteke strike, he avoids all those challenges and then blasts low under... Forster and Investigard sticks up his hand appealing for offside and he wasn't even close. Um, we just looked a shambles, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, Palace played Sheffield United, didn't they, on the weekend, 1-2-0 and Benteke scored in the second minute of that game and he did exactly the same tonight. Um, don't know about you, but I, I can I seem to remember quite a few games over the years when Benteke has kind of bullied our centre-backs. I think Jack Stevens has had some difficult games against him in the past where... You know, Benteke's such a presence up front and does get the better of him. Not not all centre halves in the league, but when he when he comes up against a centre half that's physically weaker than him, sometimes he can bully them. And that's definitely the case for his goal. Like you said, Saints players just weren't tight on him. Um and it was the, the key one is Danny Ings kind of going in on him and you you it's just the player that you don't want, you know, challenging for that loose ball. Um he kind of goes in half hearted. Um, and Benteke nicks it and just fires it under force. So I don't think you can blame the keeper for that one. It was a decent finish, but yeah, it was just 
an absolute nightmare start and you thought at that point he scored on Saturday, he scored on Tuesday, that he could go on to get a few goals. But I think, you know, we'll go on to the changes that Ralph made, but I think we definitely did steady the ship defensively, definitely in the second half. Yeah, I mean, that that opening goal just kind of set the scene for what I feared the most, which was just another turgid performance. Kind of, we've been talking about safety and, and we discussed at the weekend, I think, in a conversation between me and you, that obviously Fulham played Burnley. If they'd won that and then we hadn't got a result on Tuesday, we were then playing Fulham. So there's always that fear in your back of your mind. Burnley did us a favour and the season has already been written off, but that, that threat of relegation like kind of in the background had now been extinguished. So you're kind of like, okay, let's sit down and watch this Palace game, try and enjoy it. And for that to happen, you're just like, oh my God. But credit to credit to, to, to the players, great crossfield pass from Jan Bednarak out to Redmond, into the middle. And and who else but but Danny Ings? Um, great, great first touch and great finish on the turn. Let's chat about Danny because obviously injury hit season, COVID as well to contend with. Hasn't gone anywhere near the goals tally from last season for for those reasons but I think we it, again he I just underlined his importance to the team tonight with with that goal and with the finish that took the game away from Palace in the second half um, after three weeks out two shots on target two goals he's back to his clinical best immediately wasn't he yeah I mean it's, it's an interesting one with, with Ings I think because he he got injured on the 21st of April. I think it was Spurs away, didn't he? Scored that decent or very, very good near post header and then came off injured. And you're thinking that was kind of a season done, holding his hamstring. You're expecting that to be three, four weeks and probably his Euros, you know, massively in doubt with players like Ollie Watkins and Calvert-Lewin, Patrick Bamford hitting a bit of form. So, you know, it was definitely a pleasant surprise to see him in the team today and even more so starting um, but everyone knows how clinical he is and he had two shots tonight both of them went in both of them brilliant finishes um, the first one was just no right to score literally back to goal it's a difficult ball to control and he t- takes it down first time and hits it into the bottom corner the keeper's no chance and I mean I know we've it's not an England pod but the, the, the Euros are approaching and if you look at his from last season and this season I just saw a stat on Twitter that's saying the most non-penalty goals since the last since the start of last season Harry Kane 33 Danny Ings 31 mm-hmm. and that's Salah and Sterling underneath them on 30 so you know if you look at it for the, f- the full last season and this season taking into account like you said the, the injury layoffs that he's had and had Covid it's a ridiculous return for a for, especially playing in a team. He's not playing in a team like Man City that have, mm-hmm. you know, 65% of the ball all the time. We're, we're, we don't normally dominate games. So I think he has to go if he's fit. Um, and those two goals tonight will definitely boost his chances for the summer. Yeah. So after he limped off against Sheffield United uh, at the beginning of March, he returned um, on the 4th of April against Burnley. And I think before that pod, we, we knew that he was coming back and we were talking about, okay, You've got Ollie Watkins that has nipped ahead of him, Dominic Calvert-Lewin that's nipped ahead of him and, and potentially even Patrick Bamford in that race to be the kind of backup to Harry Kane. How many goals would Ings need to score? I think we, we said seven or eight between April 4th and the end of the season. Now, 
he obviously picked up that injury against Tottenham, which has cost him a few matches as well. He's sitting now on four goals and one assist since that Sheffield United injury. Um, so not too far off the target that we thought he'd need to hit. And he still has three games remaining. So there's every opportunity for him to get six, seven, eight goals, despite missing a handful of games with another injury. So um, I think it just makes the point that there is no better English striker in terms of a finisher available to Gareth Southgate than Danny Ings. Now, if he's fit, I think he has to go, but it's a massive if, if isn't it? It is. It's just, it's so frustrating. Last season, he was his injury record was incredible, but this season it's been so stop-start. But you just can't look past the fact that when he plays, he's a threat. And if the ball drops him in the box, like that first goal, swivel, bottom corner, no other striker scores goals like that. And tournament football, that is what you want. He has to go with his fit, 100%. I mean, we're discussing this. It'd be great for Danny on a personal level to, to go realistically, this is probably the one, other than the third choice goalkeeper, the backup role to Harry Kane as a striker is probably one of the roles that if you've got it, you're not going to see any action, are you? I mean, Harry Kane, England, England captain, he's not coming off the pitch at the Euros if we're in contention. So um, I don't expect the things does go for him to make too much of an impact. Obviously, I hope he goes and I hope I'm wrong and he does score some goals, but um, we shall see on that front. I thought it was interesting after the game uh, in his interview, uh, Danny was talking about the lads know that our league position and going into the match, obviously it was 17th, we've gone up to 14th now, saying that we know our league position isn't good enough considering the quality we have in the team. He called it a massive team performance against Palace and the players were demanding more than just safety. They want to push up the table now with with what was four games remaining and is now three games remaining. Um, on that, We've got games to come against winnable winnable games, I think. Obviously, West Ham are flying, but we've got and Leeds are doing well as well. But we need to finish strongly between now and the end of the season for the players. Some of them are playing for their futures and for Ralph because he's under pressure as well. Yeah, 100%. Um, I, I did actually read a different or oh, quite an interesting article. I think it's from Karl Anka. Um, just on a bit of a tangent here, saying players that are playing for their future quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I think it will be quite difficult to get rid of some players. I know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of players are coming to the end of their deal um, at Southampton. So, you know, players like Ryan Bertrand, obviously he doesn't sign a new contract. He will be out the door, but we do have some players on contracts that it's difficult to shift some of the, you know, the Deadwood. So I think it is a little bit of a, um, I don't know, a pipe dream that we're going to shift loads of players and bring in five or six new ones to try and revamp this squad because I don't think there's going to be a massive amount of change this summer. We just need to invest in a few key areas. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't, I don't know what you made of some of the, like, the, the fringe players' performances um, today. I thought Minamino, I know he's only on loan from Liverpool, but I don't think he massively took his chance. I think he had some opportunities to, I thought Shea Adams was, Absolutely fantastic tonight. I thought the, the runs he was making off the ball um, probably should have got a few more passes slid into him. And Minamino was one of those players that had a few opportunities to find the pass and didn't really take it. Yeah. Um, Jack Stevens, I thought was decent. Um, but I thought the, the key one for me, and I'm just looking on Twitter as well, and I think a lot of Saints fans are saying the same, is that it has to be time for Salisu to, to start games now over Jan Bednarek. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it might, I say over Jan Bednarak, we do have that problem at left back with Bertrand not fit. So he might have to play left back potentially, but Bednarak got hooked at half time and he was having a very difficult game against Benteke. Um, he got booked in a little passage of play that I thought he could have got a red card because he had a swipe at someone. The ref played on, which was mm-hmm. probably a booking. Then he got up and took out the next player, which was probably another booking. Um, so I thought he had a def- difficult game. Salisu came on and changed it. So I think we need to see him start these remaining three games. I think you're right. There's a few positives from the game. Salisu's performance after coming on at half time was definitely encouraging, and and he should get the final three games of the season for sure because Jan Bednarak has been out of form all but even before the red card that was was overturned ultimately, but even before that Old Trafford game, um, he's been well, well short of his best. Chatham's performance, again, another big positive. Took his goal well from the corner and slid the ball nicely through to Ings for our third. So that partnership, Adams and Ings, was looking bright for the first few months of the season and we were very, very excited about it. Then injury hit to, to Ings and Adams... He stepped up, he did okay, but it kind of broke that partnership that had looked so promising for those first three months of the season when we were doing so well. Um, so to see it come back tonight uh, against Palace and to see them link up so well and to see them link up so well and create a goal for Ings um, in the second half was really, really encouraging. On Minamino, I I liked the signing when we made it. I thought it was a, a smart addition to make in a January window, but it hasn't really worked out as well as we'd hoped. A um, couple of great goals, the goal against Newcastle, the goal against Chelsea, but then it's kind of petered out since then, really. And when the team sheet dropped today, my first thought was really, what, why is he in the team? Like, Why is he starting? Um, because he's not going to be at the club next season. We're not making that move permanent. I don't think we've seen enough to do that. And I don't think Liverpool made this deal with the intention of selling him at the end of a loan deal. I think they signed him, didn't really have a role for them in the team, but I think they wanted him to be part of their first team squad next season. So I don't really see the logic of playing him when we have other options on the bench, whether it's Nathan Taylor or, or even Musa Gineppo, Phil Walcott was on the bench as well. Why are we giving minutes to a loan player that 99.5% certain will not be at the club next season? Didn't really get that. Um, but on another positive again, I thought the continued um, strong performances of Stuart Armstrong playing out of position. Now we do lose his attacking ability and we're not playing him in the number 10 role. But again, he impressed me with his ability to drop back and partner Ward Prowse in the middle there. It's not a long-term answer. Hopefully that long-term answer is a return to form for Ibrahima Diallo. But I just think that it's so, so crucial when we talk about, when Ralph talks about a lack of depth across the team. And he did again after the match tonight in his post-match presser, he was talking about a lack of depth. And that's the main thing that Saints need to address over the summer, which which means new players, basically, more players. Um, to have somebody as versatile and as good as Stuart Armstrong is just invaluable to this Saints team. Just back on Minamino, I think I'm going to have to disagree with you there, mate. Yeah, go on. Yeah, I was, I was happy to see him in the team. Um, I'm just looking at the games that he played recently against West Brom, we lost three nil. He didn't play against Leicester uh, when we lost one nil in the cup, didn't play against Spurs. We lost two one. He was on the bench 
against Leicester when we drew one all when we went down to 10 men early doors he played 75 minutes and put in a good shift mm-hmm. obviously against Liverpool we lost 2-0 and he wasn't able to play I think players like Gineppo and Nathan Teller don't get me wrong they are long-term kind of answers but Gineppo has been in awful form and I don't think Nathan Teller's at that reliable stage yet when you when you can count on him to put in those performances if you're going to bring a player in on loan I don't think it's, it's obviously the ideal situation is to be like brilliant let's get him in and play him and hopefully sign him I agree with you I don't think we are going to sign him but I think watching Saints recently has really been quite depressing you know especially mm-hmm. attacking attacking wise and I think why not play a player that's you know got those you know, international pedigree and has played at these big clubs. I think we definitely do need that. I don't think he's massively lived up to expectations, but I don't mind him in the squad, um, in the starting eleven. And then Stuart I, Armstrong. Yeah, I'm just on. on that quickly. I, I do take your point because I think it, it is a good point in the sense that it's what's the what are you looking to achieve from these last last few games? Are you looking ahead to next season? Which I kind of talked about at the start of the podcast. We should be, and. And that's, I think we should be. But ultimately, as well, we've been shite for so long that we just need results. So I take your point that in games we've done better, he's been playing. And really, Ralph probably is not really thinking or certainly wasn't thinking when he was picking his team for the Palace game about next season. Now, as fans, we want to think about next season because this season's been so bad. But him, he's probably thinking about his job. And he's probably thinking about, okay... We haven't got Minamino next season, but he's the best player for this game that's going to get us, that's going to hopefully get us three points. And and yeah, I'm thinking about maybe playing Nathan Teller because he's looked bright, but what what do we get from that? If we play Teller and we draw one all, or if we lose, you know? And that's not to say that it would be Teller's fault, but maybe I think you make a good point there about Ralph potentially thinking a little bit more short term because we need points, you know? The, the narrative yeah, on do. us is so bad. Exactly. I mean, I was watching the game with my mates just in the second half and they were kind of going... It's a dead rubber, mate. Like, why do you even care? And I was just like, it'd be nice to win a game of football just for yeah. like the whole club. There's an article from Dan Sheldon on The Athletic today. Where was, I think the under-18s came bottom. The, un- the, the, B- the B team got relegated or maybe vice versa, but they both had shocking seasons. Obviously, the, the first team have been the worst, one of the worst teams in the Premier League, definitely this calendar year. It's nice to win a game of football. <laughs> so like, regardless of the fact that you know, it doesn't mean anything, the league table before the game showed us 17th. Obviously, the three teams below us have been awful this season, but it doesn't make good reading for a club. So I think we just needed three points. That was that was literally it. And to have players like Danny Ings and Sheridan score made it even better. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's fair enough. So on on that point that you made about the kind of the whole the dire situation across the club in terms of results, I think one thing one one bleeds into the next really. Um, the lack of depth, what Ralph's talked about, hurts our B team, which hurts our academy team because we've we've over-promoted certain youngsters that should be playing week in, week out in the B team and aren't really because they're needed for, for the bench or even to start for the first team, um, which then impacts the B team, which then means we're over-promoting and we do have a very young B team because we're, we're promoting our under-18s and our teenagers into that squad which then contributes to them getting relegated and to the under-18s finishing bottom. So I think from top to bottom, everything starts with the first team. And I think all the problems that have kind of cascaded down from the first team have come from that fact that we have had about 14 players, senior players that we can count on 
in our starting 11 each week. And as soon as you, as soon as you get one, two, three, four, five injuries, our squad is so stretched. So I take, I take that. It's going to be difficult to make changes in the summer, but we do desperately need them. And, and I think none more so than Salas who coming in at the back and none more so than making changes at the back because we've conceded 62 goals in the Premier League this season. Only West Brom have conceded more. The only team in the Premier League that have conceded more goals than us is West Brom. So we have, hopefully, fingers crossed, we have Danny Ings and Shea Adams next season. We can score goals. It's how do we stop them? And yeah. that's, that's the big question mark, I think, for me. I think that's the big question mark for Ralph and his system because it has proven that it can be effective going forward. But also, when you play this 4-2-2-2 style, you do ship goals as well. Um, so that's the big question for me. Yeah, I think quick word on Shea Adams. Yep. Um, four goals last season. He's got eight eight now this season, so that's steady progress. Sometimes you watch him in a Saints shirt and you think he's out of his depth. He, he looks like a championship player, but more often than not, and I'm a massive Shea, Shea Adams fan. I, I you know, want him to do well in a Saints shirt more than a lot of other players. I think he works so hard for the team and he looks like a player that's just 100 gives 110% each week. Um, and tonight was one of those games where you think we've got a real player on our hands. Like His link-up play seems like the dream striker to play alongside of your Danny Ying, someone that's working hard. He gets his head up at the right times and he plays plays the pass at the right times. You saw when he slid in that ball for Danny for the third goal. You know, it was perfectly weighted. I think they've linked up quite a few times this season. Um, so I think, fingers crossed, we keep Danny Ings next season and... I think there is a partnership there. I think, you know, there's not many strike partnerships in the league. Um, I think Adams and Ings is definitely one of them that has a massive amount of potential. But um, yeah, just looking on to next season, for me, priority number one, and for most Saints fans, is a left back. I think we talk about our defensive problems and you wouldn't, you wouldn't, immediately look to left back and say that's the spot because we're, you know, because we don't have a, a, you know, a proper left back there we're shipping goals but I think it's so crucial especially in the system we play you've got Carl Walker-Peters on one side if we had a similar kind of player on that left hand side I've mentioned him on the pod before um, you know that Anthony Robinson from Fulham it's very good we've been linked to um, I think it's Rico Henry from Brentford that kind of fullback that's just provides a little bit more energy and dynamism down that right hand side I think it would improve our overall game massively so I think that's crucial that's definitely crucial. A word before we wrap up as well on Fraser Forster, because goalkeeper has been another position where we seem to have not really known what we're doing. Whether we're going between Alex McCarthy one week to, to Forster the next, stepped up and made an absolutely massive save from the penalty spot, denying um, Milijevic just before half time. That would have made it 2 1 to Palace. Wasn't a particularly good penalty, but Still saved it and, and Forster has now saved three of his last five penalties he's faced in the Premier League. He's a big guy. <laughs> That's what he is brings, right? isn't it? He's just, an absolute, he's just an absolute unit. Yeah, three of his last five penalties he's faced in the Premier League, he's saved. So um, another good performance from him. He's one that obviously is on a lot of money in terms of wages, but we need him to make a decision in our goalkeeping department. We have three players that are on big, significant money and... We haven't got. We've only got space for one, maybe two. So, so just a word on Fraser because that was a that was a huge stop and and a huge pivotal moment on our way to three points. 
Yeah, Sky put the little graphic up that they normally do when Milivojevic stepped up, which just you know shows where he's put previous penalties. And every single one, I think they showed his last five, mm-hmm. has gone to the keeper's left. So obviously Fraser has done his homework to go that way. And it was like you said, it was a poor penalty. He's the, he's the kind of penalty taker which does seem to score a lot of them, but never convincingly. Kind mm-hmm. of side foots it quite high, you know, a good a good height for a keeper, you'd say. And yeah, to be honest, I'm quite surprised with that stat three out of the last five. Maybe I'm over overthinking a few, but I can't remember a few in the Saints shirt. I think there was one against Liverpool I can remember off the top of my head. But yeah, he's a massive keeper and it's one one of those ones that you hate to step up against from 12 yards, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just another stat for you there, talking about players that are crucial to to Saints. And and again, it's 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 no surprise, James Will Prowse, um, the Chatham's goal coming from a set piece. It looked like a training ground set piece and and we know what James Ward-Prowse brings to the team in terms of his energy. Again, on Tuesday, he completed the most passes of anyone on the pitch and we got that goal from, from the corner. Um, 14 of our 44 Premier League goals this season have come from set-piece situations. That's the highest percentage, 31.8%. That's the highest percentage in the Premier League. So we have a few key, key players um, to build around the next season and he is absolutely one of them um, what are teams doing leaving Stuart Armstrong on the edge yeah. of the box yeah that Leicester one last week with the Inacho handball Stuart Armstrong on the edge of the box I don't understand how the opposition yeah. aren't just putting a man on him I mean if that was Jack Stevens on the edge of the box you let him you let him have all the time and space you want but to play like Stuart Armstrong don't understand that giving him so much space but keep doing fi- it definitely keep doing it it's working on, um, a final word on Wilfred Zaha. I called him a hilarious liability on Twitter because he really he's just the easiest player in world football to wind up. And James Ward-Prowse must have it circled on his calendar every single, twice a season, going up against Zaha. I mean, he must look forward to it. Jack Stevens got in on the act on Tuesday, winding him up at the end, getting him booked. But, I mean, is there is there an easier player in world football to wind up? He just looks so easy to, to, to needle. I actually don't understand it. Really don't understand it. Like it seems to be every single time we play them, there's just images of James Will Prowse laughing and Jack Stevens laughing. It's they just, love it. They absolutely love playing against him. And he just something, something absolutely rattles him. I remember I went to Palace away, feels like about six seasons ago, but it was actually <laughs> last season when Stuart Armstrong scored and Nathan Ed- Nathan Redmond scored. And it was exactly the same. It was exactly the same. And I think Will Prowse came over to take a corner in front of the Saints fans and the Saints yeah. fans were singing you've got Wilfred Zaha in your pocket and he was just absolutely loving it yeah, yeah. it's just it's funny isn't it how much he buys into it as well I think he knows that he's completely rent free absolutely he's yeah he's. I really would not enjoy if Zaha was on on my team because he's just he's just such a horrible bastard <laughs> <laughs> and he's not even that good anymore I think he's uh, on his day, in previous seasons, he's almost unplayable. Um, but I haven't seen that Wilfred Zaha for a very, very long time. Um, so, yeah, good to get one over on him for sure. Good to get three points on the board. Up next, obviously, we've got relegated Fulham on Saturday. That game potentially was massive. Now, less so without the relegation worries. But it'll be good to go. Well, it's actually at St Mary's, but good to face them. And, and back-to-back wins should be absolutely the target. Has to be the target. Um, for the rest of the season now, I'm just praying Danny Ying stays fit, praying James Will-Prowse yeah. stays fit, 
and praying both of them go to the Euros because I think they both deserve it. And I just thought, hopefully, we finish the season on a high. We've got a great opportunity to finish this season on a high. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed we get the result on Saturday. All right, Jack. Well, speak to you then. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Jack, thank you very much for joining me. And our next podcast will be, will be back at our regularly scheduled time of, of Monday morning. Nice one, mate. Speak to you then.